Welcome to this bonus episode of Cyclops is Waiting for Me, an X-Men animated recap podcast with pride of the X-Men. I'm JC. I had the best fucking New Year's ever. I really don't know that because this episode was actually recorded in 2023. But we're here and at long, long last, after hearing people ask me for two years, have you guys watched Pride of the X-Men yet? I finally did. And I'm past Rod. <laughs> and I'm assuming as long as no one bothered me for one week, I had a great fucking Christmas and New Year. I love that That's you're going to be for. so much more relaxed on the day where this finally publishes than the day when we recorded it. Yeah, actually, well, see, this is coming out January 8th. I might be stressed by now again. I'll make sure you are. <laughs> okay. I will I will even out the energy. So this is what happens every year. I, t- I, I push all my meetings or anything anybody wants to schedule for like that last week of the year. And I'm like, January 2nd. Let's get back together January 2nd. Every year, January 2nd comes by. I'm like, fuck you, Past Rod. Like, I have 30 meetings today. <laughs> I, I I actually have January 2nd off because of the, the way the holidays fall. So oh, I nice. don't go back to work until the 3rd. So oh, wow. people are like, oh, should we grab drinks when you're back in the office? I was like, if you want to grab drinks on the Wednesday. Yeah, that's funny. So I'm, I'm freelance for anybody that doesn't know. So another version of me is my own boss. So I'm always just yelling at another time frame of me i'm like damn it rod why'd you schedule it that way we'll see either way that last week should be pretty great cyclops is waiting for me is our weekly podcast series where we're going back and watching every single x-men animated episode we can find our first series started with the original 1992 x-men the animated series building up to the release of x-men 97 which we thought was coming out last year but since it's not here yet allegedly once again this is weeks early we don't know Maybe Christmas surprise. I don't know. We need to find some other the, shows to cover. Imagine if they did the Christmas surprise during What If they also dropped 97. That would be hilarious. Yeah, like Uatu. That would be so fucked. Uatu is like, and then, and he opens the door and it's like, <laughs> it's literally the scene from Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I hate it. They're recovering other shows. Like this long-awaited bonus episode, I was so excited for you to see this. I saw, I saw your text later because I passed out when you were texting me, but like, what was the exact text, Rod? It needs to be read by you because yeah. I want to hear how you read it through. About halfway through, it's not bad, but Jesus, tap dancing Christ that Wolverine to be <laughs> I don't I think my mind filtered out the tap dancing part before this funnier now. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was I was telling John I didn't even take notes on this one because I, I watched it twice now, earlier today and then right before we were recording. But as a kid, for years, me and my brother, we had no other X-Men thing other than this VHS cassette. My parents still have it, to their credit, in their basement. My mother gave away everything my brother and I ever cherished in our childhood, except for a few VHS cassettes. And I think that was just by accident, because there's a bunch of VHS in there that we are not sentimentally attached to as well. But me and Peter, we I want to say we wore it out, but it's still the original one. We just watched it a lot. So this special pilot, whatever you want to call it, is like ingrained in my head. We need to get you one of those acrylic cases to put it in just to keep it safe and not like, oh, you know, yeah. it's already been hit by the ravages of time, but we need yeah. something for like, make it a display piece. I feel That's like say, I actually haven't even watched it to get like the tape again to see if it's, if there's even still a show on it. It's not, <laughs> let's, let's literally seal this fucker yeah. up and we just, we go from there. Some quick reminders. We are a recap show about an animated pilot that aired almost 35 years Jeez. ago. There are going to be spoilers. If you don't want it spoiled for you, pause the podcast Go to an associated website to Google that shows video that has the full episode since it's not on Disney and then come back. 
And if you haven't guessed, based on what I just said, we're not affiliated with Marvel, <laughs> Marvel Animation, Disney, or Disney Plus in any way. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Cyclops IWFM Pod on Instagram, TikTok, Threads, X, or whatever it's called this year, and Facebook. Hopefully, it's dead by now. Hopefully, that my Christmas wish came through. <laughs> That's what you asked for, ask Santa for every year. <laughs> and of course, make sure to follow us on all your favorite podcast services. Especially Castbox. Castbox. It might be X now too, right? Because it's supposed to be everything. Watch it be the ult- the the Bizarro verse where everything goes right for that platform. If he buys Castbox, I'm removing our podcast from Castbox. <laughs> it's out of principle. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about the original X Men animated pilot titled Pride of the X Men. It aired in 1989. I could not find a date for it on NBC. And it sits at a 6.6 star rating on IMDb. I feel like we need to have a quick conversation around the show before we get into the actual recap of the episode. I don't actually know if I first saw it as an airing or if it was a VHS. And if I did see it aired on TV, I don't even know if it was the original one or you know how stuff just would replay all the time back then. It was absolutely in syndication, but could not find for the life of me imdb any of the wikis actual wikipedia i would love to know what the actual date this thing originally aired on if somebody could give us definitive proof it kind of feels like the launch date of the nintendo entertainment system in the united states is unclear like do you actually have a hard time finding confirmation of launch date of that because of how records were kept in the 80s i wonder too if because X-Men wasn't the force that we know it as now, maybe it depended on your region. Like, since it was in syndication, does it mean, like, maybe it played for you earlier right. in the year or me later? Or, like, whenever a network had, like, a, depending on how seriously they took it, like, whenever they had, like, an open slot. Because I, I don't... Would this be a Saturday morning thing, I guess? I believe it was tied to that Saturday morning block of Marvel cartoons that were uh-huh. around at the time and just got inserted in there. But I also remember, like, you know, growing up in in the Northeast, there were certain Saturday morning shows on, like, what would become the WB-11 that would get preempted by basketball and stuff like that. Yeah. And as a kid who did not and still does not care about sports, I would just miss my show. And then there was never a repeat because, oh, it's episode that should have happened the next week. And it's like, well, I guess I'll just go fuck myself then. There. I- I don't even remember what it was called and it probably wasn't that important, but I remember there was this one, like some celebrity, I can't remember her name, back then had like an animated one episode like special or whatever. And I so bad wanted to see it, but something, I don't even know if what I did was actually bad or if I was just being a kid, but my dad was punishing me for whatever reason. And he was like, you can't watch that show. That's your punishment. And what did you do? I don't, I mean, you know, it could have been anything i could have actually done something wrong or i could have just annoyed my dad who knows you know i was like really little but okay back then i mean his whole thing was like it'll be on again it was never on again and it, was it the carol burnett show animated right no it wasn't carol burnett is lily tomlin tomlin i think i think maybe it was her i don't know I've, so here's the only thing that makes that amazing i cannot picture like a sub 10 year old rod caring about watching Lily Tomlin. So that makes that story great, even if it's totally false. So the, the this was the era where everyone, every IP and celebrity had like an animated show. Like Roseanne Barr had an animated show, Little Rosie. L- Louis Anderson Louis had Anderson, a yeah. great show. Howie Mandel had Bobby's, Bobby's World, World, which I still know. I never actually understood why it was that, but yeah. That show was always funny in our household because 
Bobby's mom, I don't know if she's based on a real woman or whatever, but she had that really thick Minnesota accent. So she's like, don't right. you know, Bobby? And then Uncle Ted, who I think was actually, no, was Uncle Ted Howie? I don't know. Hey, Uncle Ted would always call Bobby Babo. Hey, Babo. And yeah. Babo in Korean is like calling someone an idiot. So my parents um, always thought it was hilarious that the uncle was just calling Bobby an idiot the whole time because that's what they called me. They're like, I was waiting for you to be like, <laughs> it was a slur. Yeah, <laughs> not quite. Now, what my parents called me was kind of... <laughs> that, that's all the story. To be clear, they are the ethnicity of the word that they're saying. Yeah, so well, it is no, a different no, yeah, It wasn't a racial slur. It was just like, my mom was calling me the Korean equivalent, like a dickhead or something, but I, when I was like five. So now, oh, yeah. So it's it's like when you, when your Italian uncle calls you a fucking idiot. Yeah, so whatever show this was, it never came on again. But then, like, what happens in after-school specials happened, where all my friends were talking about it, and I had no clue what they were talking about. I remember going to school the next week. I think Jason... Jason Vogel, if you're out there listening, I know you listen to this sometimes. You were one of them. Not, and this is not your fault. But you're like, right, way to go, Jason, they, you fucking right, dick. When they, when they, in the show, when they had that the thing and the real piece of cake or whatever, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and everyone was so excited about this special and talking about it. And me and my brother had no idea what they were talking about. And my dad kept saying, like, yeah, yeah, well, you'll just catch it next time it went on. I, I think that it, it objectively was just not that good because they didn't put it back on again but for kids it doesn't matter like if it was entertaining it was entertaining but it never aired again i can't find any trace of it i probably wouldn't even care about it now i probably watch it now and be like that's just boring but it was just funny like at the time like i wanted to see it and then the next day of school everyone was talking about it and i had no idea but that was the era this show however i i do remember whether we saw it like live aired or aired on tv or not we i remember the vhs being like a sacred object for me, my brother, our house. We'd watch it all the time. I even messaged you when we decided to do this. I found my version that I watched, and they included yeah. everything off that VHS. I forgot about the first commercial with all the video games, but that tracks because yeah. those were the games out. I was impressed though that they included CG. So I don't know if that... It was it. early CG Spider-Man in there. And if you search on the Google-owned site that has it, if you find the one that's an HD up-res, that has that on there. 88. It is wild for me to think of that. You know, granted, it's not great, but it's better than what I pictured for 1988 CG. So it was very know. Lawnmower Man vibes to me. So I'm like, was this maybe a few years later, like a re-release of the VHS that included this? I don't know. I don't know, because it did talk about like like Super NES games and stuff. Well, then, here's the thing. It could not have been 89 when it originally came out because it had Spider-Man 2 for the Game Boy. Oh, okay. Spider-Man on the Game Boy was not a launch title and the Game Boy came out in 89. So it had to be a second version of the VHS. So yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was like something like as a precursor to like 92 coming out or something, right? Just to kind of get things going. I don't know. I don't actually know when when that happened. I don't know if we actually owned it in 89 or what or if it was just early 90s, but we watched it all the time. I do remember the second commercial with Spider-Man asking everyone to register to vote, which I specifically remember because it was one of the few times we saw a live-action Spider-Man that actually looked pretty good. But also of me being like, what, at that time I was like 10 or something? Like, I need a vote? <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> I guess they're expecting a good amount of 18-plus viewers then on that VHS. So The Amazing Spider-Man 2 for Game Boy came out in 1992. Okay, so this probably was a release... To to like maybe promote or drum up interest in X-Men 92 then. Or Marvel was fucking broke and needed to get <laughs> as much money as they could, which was right. the theme for parts of the 90s. So, so you know, that actually now makes a little bit more sense too. So we couldn't have had this tape 
for those number of years. So it, we probably taped it off TV. So I probably watched the aired one a lot more until we got this actual tape. And then that's probably why we own is we begged them for it once it came out proper and we didn't have to like skip commercials and stuff. So some other high level important aspects about this. We've alluded to this on previous episodes, but let's for the sake of saying it in the Pride of the X-Men episode, the budget for this was unlocked by Margaret Lesh. We've talked about Margaret before, Eric and Julia Leewald for the X-Men 92 show. I've never heard them sing the praises of somebody else as much as Margaret because she was the one who led to 92 getting approved. She unlocked the budget for this pilot, which was originally supposed to go to Toei for the 13th episode of the RoboCop cartoon. So the reason why, if you were one of the RoboCop cartoon fans that you didn't get a 13th episode, it was because (laughs) of this. I think it was worth it. <laughs> and I'll acknowledge this Secret Galaxy, which used to be called Toy Galaxy. They actually posted the that. video about this episode like three days ago. And in a normal circumstance, if I had watched it before, I would use his his work for, for reference. But I didn't want to bias my opinions of our review and walkthrough by watching his. So I'm sure Dan Larson over there has some interesting stuff as well, which at this point would have been about a month prior when this goes live. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you you brought up the idea of actually doing this for the first episode of this year. And then I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I love the show. And then I saw the thumbnail come up and I, I didn't watch it for the same reason because I was like, yeah. I, I kind of want to like have my own thoughts about it. But I guess, is it is it an anniversary or something? Is there a reason that like everybody's, I guess 97 is coming out, so everybody's kind of... I think it's the 97 tie, mm-hmm. honestly. Some other important stuff. It is not confirmed, but it is speculated that this is in the same animated universe as Fantastic Four, which came out in 78. That was the one where they replaced Johnny Storm with the robot so kids didn't light themselves on fire. <laughs> Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which has Kitty in the show in one of the episodes as Sprite, which is one of her aliases we've talked about in the past for Kitty. But that would mean that this happened in continuity earlier. You also had the same voice actor who does Wolverine in that episode as well. I think I do remember that because I had another VHS that had Spider-Man and Amazing Friends. It might have been the first episode because it was when he met Firestar and Iceman. Right. Yeah, there's there's three episodes which now go into our backlog of bonus episodes that directly involve the X-Men with two origin episodes and then one that's just like the X-Men team. So, Yeah. yeah. And let's see, is there anything else in general before we we get into this? One, we mentioned it's not on Disney+. Plus. The only dub that exists is in Italian. Interesting. The multiverse number for the super nerds that are out there. This is Multiverse Earth 652975. (laughs) Means absolutely nothing. Just sharing it because it's a thing we found. And at the end of the day, Margaret Lausch pushed for... It to be reworked into what would become X-Men 92 with the Leewolds because this was just okay in her perspective mm-hmm. and they needed it to be something great, which would lead to her later saying, I'm going to put my job on the line. If we don't kill it in ratings, I'm out. And it's something that the panel that I got to attend over at LA Comic Con and oh, and I forgot to say this last episode, but the reason JC couldn't be there was because he had his own panel at the same time. Yeah, I would not have intentionally missed that, but I was literally running a panel concurrently at LA Comic Con. They all, once again, praised Margaret Lesh for, you know, greenlighting everything that they were doing, but also said that the experiences of making Pride, well, Larry Houston specifically said that his experience of making Pride of the X-Men, 
led to him knowing his demands for the next show, which we'll get into a few things that we've already started talking about. And then the last thing before we get into the actual episode itself, I just want to point out, did you look up the voice acting cast of this show? No, I remember it wasn't like Rob Paulson in this or something. Of all the people you could have named, Rob is not on the list. I literally have who I think you're referring to as the last one listed. So here, I basically went through and anybody who had something that was recognizable to me, whether it was personal nerddom or iconic to the the voice actor, Cyclops was by Michael Bell. Michael was Duke in G.I. Joe. Oh, okay. That, That tracks because it's a similar like animation. Ron Gans, who was the juggernaut, this is my personal one, was Nikolai Volkov from the Hulk Hogan Rock and Wrestling Show. I remember that show, but I don't, I don't know that actor. Nikolai Volkov was the wrestler who was all about being Russian, basically. Okay. <laughs> Alan Oppenheimer, best known as Skeletor, was Blob. That's hilarious. Neil Ross, who was Nightcrawler in the Spider-Man 1994 cartoon, was the Green Goblin. Oh, okay. We have Kath Sorcy, or Sousy, sorry if I'm mispronouncing her name incorrectly, who was Kitty. Was Phil and Lil from the Rugrats. Oh, wow. Okay. You have Earl Bolin, who is Magneto, who is one of the the few who've crossed over into IRL success, was the doctor in the Terminator movies, the first three. That's so funny. Okay. Pat Farley, who is Pyro, was Krang in the Ninja Turtles cartoon, the original. Okay. You have Dan Gilveza, who is Colossus, also was Goldbug in the Transformers cartoons, and Spider-Man in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Oh, wow, okay. John Stevenson, who is Professor X, was Thundercracker in Transformers. And a a lot of that is like that small group. He was one of the, why am I blanking? Oh, my God, Thundercracker was one of Sound, not Soundwave. Oh, my God, the the annoying jet from Transformers. Starscream? Starscream. He's one of Starscream's boys. (laughs) Okay. And then the finale, literally, and I'm stealing this point blank from Secret Galaxy, Frank Megatron Welker was Toad. What an odd role for that. Okay. And he also, and this was one of the facts that we found, he also was Iceman in Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Okay, that's funny. Actually, it's yeah. funny, too, because I, I thought now rewatching this is like, Toad is the funniest person in the show. I mean, he literally is like, he's Igor from the fucking yeah. classic Frankenstein But he's stuff. also like, everything's like real kind of funny by playing it straight, you know? He's not telling jokes. He's just like muttering stuff under his breath. Yeah, he's just <laughs> awkward. Yeah. All right, so now we are into the episode. I want your thoughts specifically around this. All I wrote was... Wow, that intro song. The theme song. So I I messaged you before, like, I still love this show, but as time went on, this theme song got worse and worse for me. So I forget if it made the final cut, but in the first time I met Ron Wasserman, we were collabing and you were there too for an interview for NerdSync. And I think it made the final cut of the video, but Ron had mentioned like how the reason the X-Men 92 theme song doesn't have lyrics in it is because there's no cool way to say X-Men. And this song proves it, I think. They also had lyrics from Stan Lee, who helped write the lyrics for it to yeah. that point. And there was like spoken stuff at the beginning. It's like, no place to run. No place. I think that was kind of cool, actually. But then but then it got like really like like Broadway-ish. Like crashing like thunder, I think yeah. is one of the lines. Coming and, your and, way. And here's the thing. I I forgive because this did not get picked up as series that all of the animation are just clips from the show itself. Like, I'm not going to expect them to, like, reanimate that. 
But I was just like, wow, they're throwing everything out here. And it's like, oh, this is literally just the clips from throughout yeah, the entire like episode that fit back. Exciting moments from the, right. from the show and the new sound effects. I And so the, the guy that I don't know, I'm assuming that he wrote this song, too. But the guy that's credited for all the music in this pilot is Rob Walsh. He Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. But in his time, in where he worked all the way up until then. He's known in Hollywood and music as like one of the he's worked on everything he's done music for like gi joe gem and the holograms i think before this he was working on muppet babies mm-hmm. and stuff and which is like the most iconic theme song of right. the 80s but once again i'm not sure even though he's head of music or credits that it's never clear if he wrote the main things that we know like he did he did a lot of score for gem and the holograms and he's the main person credited for that but when people think of Gem and the Holograms, they think of the like the pop songs in there, and that was yeah. done by a woman who isn't like head credit. So I'm not sure who where anything fell because records were terrible back then. But Rob, as born, we could tell from this show, literally not right? having an air on date. Yeah, At, Rob was a very traditional scoring composer, and that shows. If you watch this episode, like you'll notice if, if you're paying attention now that you know this, the music follows the emotions of the show which sounds obvious but doesn't always happen so like ron doing x-men 92 and stuff everything and even evolution whoever scored that or i think we mentioned him before i can't remember his name now they all took like a more rock approach right like just kind of like a bed of music so in this the score like kind of gradually intensifies or gets nervous as characters do stuff i think there was in one it was of, it was very similar to a lot of the other toei animations it was my vibe on it where yeah. you would have the tension, like it, like you said, it matched up. Like that was a signature of GI Joe, a signature of Transformers. Yeah. He did GI Joe and Transformers as well. And so I think in the scene where Kitty sees Nightcrawler and then he teleports up to where she is and she gets nervous, you can hear like the music like follow all that. It's like it's score, and then it gets a little tense when he's in front of her and stuff. So that makes sense. If he also wrote the theme song, then that definitely sounds like what a classically trained score composer his take on a rock song right. about the X-Men would be because it was very bravado-y <laughs> and everything. It's just, I think for me, it was just like too loud. And the first time we saw it, I was like, okay, it's whatever, it's X-Men. But then like, it just kept, it was very 70s-ish to me. Like super campy, you know? Yeah, it 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 wasn't as cool as what it was trying to be. Yeah. Or do you remember the Linda Carter Wonder Woman theme song? Kind of reminds me of like Wonder Woman where they have to say the name and the thing and it, I don't know. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, that era had in in granted like, you know, this is the the same continuity supposedly as like the Fantastic 4 and stuff. None of that shit stuck. And if it did, it it stuck around for its camp value, not because yeah. like people liked it. Like I I think we've we've hit it over the head a million times. We're like, you know, Power Rangers and the other stuff that Ron has worked on, like the X-Men theme, like it just got you going. Yeah. But it still worked. It wasn't just like it's not pure nostalgia crack. So and, you know, now and you you've known Ron and seen him around and stuff. You know, he like he's kind of like a no shits kind of guy. So like he's like, I'm not gonna dumb it down for kids or try to be bravado or whatever. He's like, We're just gonna make a cool song. Right. And that and that's what that's why those shows are like that. But this this I think the only song from like the earlier era that we're talking about, like the 80s or 70s and stuff, theme song that stuck was maybe Spider-Man. You know, like Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever, Spider-Kid. Like but that. I feel like that's still the campy side, yeah, not because is. it was actually good. And then and then they like kind of revitalize it in Spider-Verse or, no, Simpsons with Spider-Pig. With Spider-Pig. Yeah, same with the, like, the campiness and stuff. But it was technically it, now under the Disney umbrella, so Spider-Pig is a part of the continuity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I hate that I said that out loud. Simpsons are going to show up in the next in, in the Spider Verse <laughs> on the third one. Yeah. Yep. So episode kicks off. We see that it is written by Larry Parr, who I don't remember hearing a lot about Larry yeah. on it, but just wanted to give him credit because Larry had a lot to deal with, which was everybody wanted to throw everything at this fucking show, and especially at that time, Marvel was more of a toy company rather than a comic book company with who was really like pulling the triggers and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And that's actually why there's so much in this episode, including the villains where like you literally had people paired together for the first time in this show before they were in the comics in certain cases, like the white queen was never associated to the brotherhood ever. Oh, okay. But, they needed to have a female antagonist, so she just kind of got lumped in with Magneto yeah. and crew. And she had like a strangely like snake voice. Yeah, she was very raspy. She was kind of like Baroness from I was gonna say yeah, GI yeah. Joe. Yeah, and as a kid, I never thought twice about it. But like now, watching it back, I'm like, oh, oh, is she was she was she like, like they, they characterize her like that? Okay, yeah. And I mentioned before we we start recording like so like whenever I in in the evolution or 92 episodes, I'm like, oh, not a lot happened in this episode. This is the opposite of that. Everything happened. And like, there's not a sec. They, it's like YouTube vlog editing. Something's happening every five frames. There are shots that are literally four frames long, I feel like. They, yeah. Like, I, I might be like being hyperbolic, but there are shots that are a second and a half. And that's legit. That's not me yeah. being hyperbolic. And I might be wrong, but I think outside of maybe two cutaways, like time cutaways or whatever. The whole thing maybe happens in like roughly half an hour, like about the same length as the show. Because it just it's, bang, 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 it bang, is bang, bang. twenty-two minutes. Yeah, it is a it is a timed for TV twenty-two minute built in with commercials yeah. because the, the, the events of the episode I think happen in that same time period in real time. <laughs> it's probably maybe six hours, but yeah, yeah. Well, because there's like two parts where they cut where like okay, maybe we don't know how long they were on that jet or whatever. But besides that. Kitty arrives at the mansion, and then this shit just goes wild for the next hour. So, episode kicks off, and we get what Eric Leewald talked about in previously on the making of an animated series. Stan Lee doing the narration, and holy shit, I love so much of the work that Stan did, but him doing that at the beginning was painful. It was legitimately not enjoyable (laughs) to listen to. I liked it, but I guess... I also just remember it might just be nostalgia. I I can't even see if it's think if it's like actually good or not. It kind of reminds me of Grandpa and Princess Bride. I could see that, but I also didn't like that part. Yeah, right. He's like, I mean, granted, it it may have worked at the time if they stuck to the this is a show for kids that doesn't age well, like mm-hmm. the like the He Man syndrome that I've talked about, like yeah, those yeah. certain shows that you go back and you watch them as an adult and you just ruin your childhood. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would have the same effect if that had been the show as a whole. Yeah. And it was that was that something Stan like required? Because I feel like that would be something he would like want because he did it for a lot of shows. He I I believe he essentially demanded it and they fought tooth and nail to prevent <laughs> it from happening. Was I, I hope I'm not misquoting him, but I think I remember Ron saying that there was an original proposition for 92 to have Stan speak during the theme song. I'm not I, sure. I have to ask him about that. Yeah, I, I, I can't confirm because that interview we did with, with Ron was so long ago yeah. now in real time. I don't remember, but he definitely wanted to be narrating the start of every episode. So, yeah, but yeah, and it's it's very heavy handed, which also went along with the, the toy comment I made earlier where it's like, 
the X-Men are there to save and then there are the bad mutants and it's like, oh, we're just laying, there's no shades of gray here. This is G.I. Joe and Cobra. This is Autobots and fucking Decepticons. It was not sophisticated story time. It was Saturday morning cartoon storytelling. And this was something I didn't notice until rewatching as a 41-year-old. Magneto straight up calls himself a terrorist. I was going to get to that. So as as Stan is giving the explanation of what this world is, you see a bird almost get hit by a military convoy. I still didn't know what the fuck the point of the bird was. I thought it was like, oh, is this like Mystique or something? Because Mystique was in the video game, which we'll talk about the video game at some point, I'm sure. But yeah, there's an angry soldier who's like screaming at Magneto and to your point, yes, he literally says that they are mutant terrorists. <laughs> it happens a couple times in this episode. Yeah, but he, like, owns it. And it's like, yeah. I'm pretty sure in any scenario, the people who are terrorists do not call themselves terrorists. They will use phrases like freedom fighter and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. literally never admitting to being terrorists. And I guess we also don't know what he did to get locked up. That's something else. I'm going to go I'm gonna go with terrorism. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny? He's like, oh, he got a speeding ticket. That's how they caught him. <laughs> yeah. His plates were expired. <laughs> right. That army guy, he was like that. He wasn't, he didn't actually have a cigar, but he had that vibe of like cigar chewing, you know, like military. Oh, yeah. Like he was like, a, he was too fat for his suit or kind of thin scenario. Yeah. Like that was not a guy who had seen active combat in a long time. And then he was saying like, you don't even deserve to live. Yeah. Next to normal, decent human beings. And that's where Magneto is like, well, once my brotherhood of mutant terrorists is done, the humans won't have a spot with us. And I'm like, okay, cool, got it. I, I kind of like how they don't try to do very much origin story with this None. pilot. They're just like, action's happening, catch up. And I don't know, I think that's pretty cool. So we we find out quickly his name is Colonel Jaffe. Magneto's like, yeah, we're going to kill all of you. He just like wants to pistol, not even pistol whip him, just hit him with the butt of his machine gun. Mm-hmm. And at the time, the truck takes like a sharp turn, which causes him to, to trip and fall. And then we go outside and everybody is abandoning their <laughs> vehicles because there's quicksand. I think we've talked about this in the past. This just furthers my theory that we had this like image that quicksand was going to be fucking yeah. everywhere when we were adults and we had to know how to escape from quicksand. I love the way they animated it too because even though they said it was quicksand, it just looked like the asphalt was liquefying, like the, yeah. the highway. Like, or I don't know what was on what's on the road. Is that asphalt? Yeah. The, okay. Because I've had people correct me on that. It's like, it's what's like on a road? Listen, man, I'm a musician. <laughs> yeah, I'm you, dude, you, you've you've had a long <laughs> month. I get yeah. it. Um, January, no excuses. December, yeah. I get it. But this image was so cool. And once again, to remind you how fast things are happening, I think this is like within a minute of that opening monologue from Magneto yeah. to them getting interrupted. Less, I would say less, less than, than a minute. Yeah, like not even a minute has passed before like the road is liquefying. And the, I love Jaffe's things. He's like, he's like, what's going on out there? And he's like, where's everything sinking? He's like, we're in the middle of the highway. Like, where's the water? He's like, it's not water, sir. It's quicksand. He's like, what the? It's like, that still doesn't make sense. There's not quicksand on a road, but whatever. And you get the reveal that it is mental power manipulation from White Queen. You see that it's fake. And then this was a thing that wasn't a thing. She throws a light spear at yeah. people. That's not a thing. I, okay. You know how you, sometimes you're like, oh, is that one of her powers in the comics? No. Straight up, no. This is going to drive you crazy. But for me and my brother, that was always cemented as one of her like core things because of that. That's the first time we saw her. Fair. Because yeah. <laughs> we were like, oh, she can make people hallucinate. Or at the time, we even considered maybe she is actually changing things. Right. You know, and then resetting it. But then she's like, and she can throw lightning. And just for a point of saying it, obviously, we know current version of White Queen, especially after first class and such, 
the ability to turn into a diamond form. Mm -hmm. The diamond form did not get introduced until 2001 in the comics. Uh, yeah, I, and it I, was it was it was a secondary mutation for her. And I didn't know that of her until in the movies when she yeah, did it in in first class. Yeah, yeah. So when that happens, Magneto is able to break free. He takes the gun and splits it into multiple parts and like makes like a little device to to wrap up the general. And then just shoots a fucking hole through the ceiling, which again does not resemble how his powers actually would work. Because everybody just has fucking like Kamehameha fucking like yeah, energy blast. <laughs> yeah. Hadouken blast through the fucking <laughs> ceiling. And then he shoots the colonel out of it, who lands in like a looked like a puddle of water by a dam or something. Like that was so random that he just landed in water. Well, I guess he, he had to land in some water, right? Because he just made fun of the guys for there not being water on the highway. <gasps> I guess, yeah. <laughs> and then in what I recognize most as the same animation style as the arcade cabinet of Magneto goes into the electric ball and goes up in the air. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. so cool. Such a cool cold open. Yeah. Well, not even a cold open. It's not cold it's after the... the yeah, this is after the credit. But that's like your kickoff to this pilot. Yeah, I, I say cold open because I think, I think I remember me and my brother just skipping that theme song a lot. Understandable. <laughs> You literally are, like, recording over it with commercials instead. <laughs> right. We jump over, and it is a taxi pulling up to the mansion, and Kitty's like, hey, do you mind waiting? And the cab driver's like, no, this place is fucking creepy, and speeds off. And that's another thing. You know, a lot of these shows were never quite clear. Like, X-Men 92, like, mutants were, like, kind of starting to creep into public consciousness. Evolution, as far as we know, isn't, like, we'll see what happens with the dance, but, like, isn't known. Yeah. This one, they're, like, they're well-established everybody knows about them at the very least they're weirdos and we yeah. don't trust the weirdos and but they they don't even try to hide when they like you know when they have their first mission they just like go do it they're not worried about cloaking themselves or anything and and everyone's super skilled i kind of like that you know that we have that out there there's a version of the x-men that we started like right in the middle of like their peak right right so kitty is reading a note and it's essentially xavier's voice just calling out that she has powers like just literally just go, go, go to your point. Yeah. And she decides to go like this. This is such an, like, an iconic scene to me. I don't know why. I think it's because it's like the first time that we're considering like that could be me. And I know she was meant to be that like Kitty in this special this pilot was supposed to be like our eyes and stuff. But it was like, man, it was like like would like what Jubilee would become for us in 92. Yeah. But this like just her in front of the house reading the note and like deciding whether to go in or not and then being scared and like learning that she has superpowers and stuff. I don't know. It's like kind of cool. Nothing's really happening. She's like reading a piece of paper. And you also get the reveal that she left without even telling her parents. Yeah. And then we find out because she says it later. She is 14, even though she's animated being like 25. She has the hair of a 25 year old. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. She's very petite, but she's got the hair of a 25 year old. She has a full fucking perm going. Yeah. <laughs> Also, all the doors are automatic. I don't know if you ever picked up on that, but the doors literally open and close for people. At that time, I thought it was just like Xavier opening the door, front doors for her and stuff. So. Which it could, it could yeah. absolutely be, but that was a consistent thing throughout the episode. Oh. In the mansion, is doors would open and close for people. And she also didn't question it. She was like, okay, nope. that's normal. So she walks in, and then Xavier does the creepiest thing <laughs> possible, which is by greeting her in an astral projection form. Yeah, and I, I was like trying to come to grips with that. I was like, I, I didn't question it as a kid, but now I'm like, oh, because he doesn't want to move around. But it's like, he's already in like the wheelchair, hover chair thing. Wheelchair, no hover chair in this in, one. Or, you know, whatever, like, like whatever he has, like, and he was only down the hall. Right. So, I don't this know. did not save any time either. Like, 
yeah. think he just, he just wanted to queue up all the video clips because this was like we you know we always make a joke about theater kids it's like okay this is one of those you know like he wants the you entr- dramatic fucks he wants the entrance music yeah so he walks her down the hallway and then he purposely goes through the wall instead of even doing the astral form through the door mm-hmm. which again theater kid and there's a bunch of screens and you get a four-way split where you see in the order dazzler wolverine nightcrawler and cyclops and then you see a horizontal split screen where you get Storm and Colossus on there. This is one of the only times, or sorry, this is the only time where Dazzler has been in the animated series as an X-Men. Oh, okay. So oh, oh, all the, the other iterations that we see of the X-Men in animated, this is the only time Dazzler is formally a part of the team. I also think this is like my favorite Dazzler design. Maybe it's because of the first time I saw her and stuff. But I just thought it was really cool with the jacket and the blue suit and stuff. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, the the first time I saw that design was her on the side of the arcade cabinet, okay. <laughs> and that was, but nobody wanted to be Dazzler because her mutant power was the worst of the group. I guess I could kind of see that. I like the idea of just like having energy blasts, and in the oh, I, I don't I don't mean her as a character. I mean in the video game, yeah. it was the worst implemented. Like you had the you had the biggest shot of missing, basically. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, because it was yeah. like a small projectile. Yeah, it was like I throw a bomb like 15 feet in front of me and I hope they're there. One of the sources I found online said that originally this was supposed to match the team from Giant Size X-Men number one, but they swapped out Thunderbird with Dazzler to put a second woman on the team at the time. Oh, very forward thinking. If that's true, I'm not. That one, I, I had a hard time finding a source to support it, but that was one of the things that was there. Because if you do look at it, that is the team from Giant Size minus Banshee and Sunfire. Yeah, so. yeah. So it's not just like Storm there by herself. <laughs> yeah. But to your point of what do people know, she knows that the X-Men are mutants. And she says it to Xavier. And he kind of like cuts her off, like brushing it off of like, yeah, we're mutants. Yeah. So they, it's, the way she says it kind of leads you to believe that like that's not a good thing or it's not yeah. perceived good to the general public. Right. Because she's questioning how does Professor X know about her not even her parents know. And he gives the the info dump on Cerebro. And that's where, you know, like we were just saying, she calls herself a freak. And I don't know why that was what stood out to me in the first two seasons of Evolution, where Kitty would like to call the non-X-Men mutants freaks. So, Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's like kind of a part of her character. Think about right. That. Yeah, it was. And I, I have not read enough young Kitty stories to know if that was like a consistent thing with her, but it just kind of stood out because we've recently been watching Evolution for the first time. So yeah. she's freaked out. Xavier's like, yeah, you know, we were all afraid at one point and then decides the best way to make her feel better is to take her into the control room for the danger room. <laughs> and show everybody training. Yeah. So you have Cyclops who is fighting like on the, the ruins and there's like skeletons. Oh, he takes down what was like just like a giant top is the best way i could describe it it was like oh, yeah. the the statue that he takes down and they mentioned that he shoots concentrated blasts of pure energy i kind of like that he gives like kind of like informed versions of of how they use their powers you then see underneath these ruins that they're fighting in colossus is running and then as he's about to get whacked by these <laughs> traps that he's impervious to harm when he's in his metal form i forgot how he actually described it you have dazzler who makes finger guns uh, I love and that then shot. 
and then kills murder plants. Yeah, yeah, it's like giant Venus fly traps or something. There was yeah, something and blows so, like, them up. I love the way the cinematography in that shot happens too, because it kind of like swoops around her. You know, like it's very right. sophisticated animation, especially for this time. I mean, that was one of the things that like was there for some of these GI Joe style shots and stuff with Toei. Like that was yeah. why Toei was as good as they were. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, that shot of her being tangled up in all the vines and stuff, and then making finger guns and like shooting up the plant stuff. I don't know. That I, I think it's in the intro too. It's just always like something. It was stuck yeah. in my head with Dazzler. I was like, oh man. And then I forgot that she had a real name. And when Allison. she said it, yeah, I was like, oh, yep. that's right. All these people have real names. I just always know her as Dazzler. Then you have Nightcrawler, and they specify line of sight teleportation, which we reference in our most recent evolution episode as mm-hmm. being tied to his powers. And then you see Wolverine slicing through some stuff. And then what was known as like one of the things that Stan would say was that Storm's weather control wasn't completely understood. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and then she's like, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, I see into people's minds. And she was like, into people's minds? And he kind of like reassured, he's like, don't worry, I do it ethically. Which... We've seen two Xavier's do. Evolution, no. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, like, I love this design of Storm. There's something really regal about it. Although when they do some close-ups, I'm like, that poor woman is in a bikini, basically. But I love the cape and the headband, I guess, that's on her. I mean, it kind of has crown vibes to it, too. And yeah. Yeah, there's something about this design that, yes, while it is very much that, like, little bit cheesecakey with the amount of skin that she's showing (laughs) and such, but, like... It also has like a regalness to her. Like, yeah. she doesn't feel like just she's part of the spandex crew, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we should point out this version of Wolverine is the <laughs> brown and yellow version of Wolverine for his color scheme. Just yeah. throwing that out. Also, there. really cool. My, my brother loved that action figure, the retractable claws. Mm-hmm. It was actually one claw with just like markings on it. It just had grooves in it. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, if we were kids, man, with three individual claws, those things would have been broken in a heartbeat. And then I have Horny Nightcrawler teleports into Control Room. This is what I also remembered was Nightcrawler's accent was also so thick, it was almost offensive, but he's basically Pepe Le Pew, but German. Okay, I can see that. Because he, he was trying to, like, grab her hand to, to kiss her palm, right? And then she's like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> right. And Kitty freaked out because Nightcrawler is obviously the most dramatically different in appearance, starts phasing through the controls, which activates the storm sequence mm-hmm. which storm immediately is able to stop so it felt kind of like a throwaway yeah and then she lands into naked peter is how i describe him oh yeah when he's not in his metal form when he's not in metal form that design always like felt weird I'm, like there's no other way to describe it he was basically in like just a slightly more covered up version of the borat swimsuit at that point yeah, like because yeah. the whole side is showing yeah <laughs> I mean, dude's so, built, so, so at least if Storm off. is half naked, he's half naked yeah, too. It's, it's equal. And also, if I was built like that, I might show off a little bit too. Would you? I mean, if I look like that, yeah. Fair. <laughs> yeah. If you were a six foot six Russian man, you would do that. Yeah, with like muscles on top of muscles. <laughs> yeah. And then Wolverine is instantly pissed. <laughs> Let's talk about the Wolverine voice. That's the the fucking elephant in the room of this entire episode, which I was warned about. But I was not ready for it because I somehow made it through two years of doing this (laughs) podcast without ever hearing it. I'd seen the theme song of like that. I'd seen one of the other scenes, but I had never actually heard the voice. And holy shit, Rod. Yeah, it is not subtle. Now, the guy, whoever did it, they did a great job, right? Like, (laughs) no, no shit talk on him. 
but it just goddamn does not fit. <laughs> it is a decision, especially because even I knew at the time that, well, I didn't know at the time, but relatively around this time, that Wolverine is canonically Canadian. And so to make him, like, hard Australian, like, not even some Australians are like this Australian, it, it was such a decision. And, like, I guess it kind of fit into how the X-Men were supposed to kind of represent the world, you know? Because, like, Colossus had a very thick Russian accent. Nightcrawler, you know, has... German, a, yeah. German accent. The Wolverine, he... It was, like, just... It was, like, one click away from, like, Dingo ate my baby, you know? And I think Larry Houston at the panel at this re- most recent LA Comic Con said, like, the reason they got us because one of the investors in this, because Margaret Lesh had pulled together so much money from different places, said that because Crocodile Dundee was such a huge thing that they needed to have, like, an Australian character in it. And Mad Max was also popular Max. at the time. And so they, they, like, shoehorned him in there. And that was one of the things that Larry and Lee Wald said that they learned, that, that Larry learned from Pride going into 92. is like, we absolutely have to have control of the characterizations of these <laughs> these characters yeah so this never happens again and that was like one of the demands and it was almost to the point where they were going to swap wolverine's nationality in the comics too oh really i honestly think had this gone well they would have pushed through of him being like essentially an australian expat in canada that's so funny because like I don't know how what my brother thinks about it now, him now, but at the time, Peter made Australian Wolverine his entire personality. So I guess like the little Crocodile Dundee thing kind of worked because it was like right. such a distinctive characterization that it was easy. You could easily identify yourself as Wolverine by kind of pretending to like sharpen your blades on your hands and then saying something about a dingo. That was your Halloween costume. Yeah, it's, this is probably the this is probably the most memorable thing, good or bad, from this pilot everybody talks about it because it is so loud <laughs> it's jarring it's just there's no other way i could describe it. it is just fucking jarring dude and his accent takes away from how grumpy i think they're trying to make him you know yeah it becomes a joke because the whole time he's like he's like eh, 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 and she's just a baby and then he he's not even growls he somehow you like, just offended an entire country right, right there <laughs> And he even, like, does a little, like, snarl, but not in, like, a threatening way. It's like when my cat does it, like, my little 10-pound black cat. So funny. It's like, it seems like a very small mammal, you know, that's growling. Like a wolverine? Maybe. I don't know if I've ever heard of wolverine growl. I <laughs> feel like they're very similar to honey badgers. Storm scolds him and then makes a mini cloud above his head. I love it. I love it once again. Love the storm energy. She's a goddess, but she's also petty. I will say of everything from the show, the mini cloud was the most Saturday morning cartoon yeah. vibey thing for me, though. Yeah. And Storm in this one, to me, like, remember in 92, like we were like, is she controlling weather outside of Earth's atmosphere and blah, blah, blah? In this one, they, they always like centered the weather coming from her, like right. within. So it's like the storm cloud wasn't like aggregated from nature. No, like she just literally created the cloud. Yeah. And same thing when they go to space later. It's like, oh, she can create an atmosphere or something. It's just like something that's part of her. So at that point, you get a random alarm that goes off. Find out it's a mutant alert. So that means the training session is over. And Kitty's like, oh, shit. And then she starts to follow everybody. You realize she's going to get left behind because you see there are two jets. There's the Blackbird and then a mini jet 
because the Blackbird apparently isn't big enough. <laughs> yeah. And that felt like a toy decision to me. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Was it Wolverine and Nightcrawler or the, like the mini jet yep. thing? All of them left. I mean, I get it. If there you have an active team of six and Professor X could stay back at the at the mansion, yeah, sure. I'm I I buy that. Then this next moment, this was the Saturday morning cartoon moment for me. That Magneto and the Juggernaut are there and they're like, Yeah, they fell for it. Yeah. Let's go fuck shit up. With binoculars posing on a rock. Oh, Captain yeah. Morgan style. <laughs> no. He's like, oh, yes, they fell for it. <laughs> kind of like Sabretooth and Wolverine in 97. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's also like laser defenses on the lawn. Yeah, right. Which The thing I, I thought was interesting about this design for the Juggernaut, the helmet is like a little more like flushed into his suit rather than being a thing on top of it. Yeah, that's, that's and what that's, me and my brother are familiar with. Yeah, where... If you look at there's alternate reality where like Mayday Parker becomes Spider-Girl and there's essentially like I think the, it's like Juggernaut Jr. basically is in that world. That's the design I, I associate to it. By the time I started reading comics, that design was not consistent with Juggernaut. The design from 92 was the standard at that point. Gotcha, gotcha. So this must have been like a transition time for the Juggernaut's design basically. And once again, they throw so much at you because we obviously got an introduction to Magneto just like minutes before. But then as Juggernaut's like running at the mansion, Xavier's giving exposition. He's like, unfortunately, that's my stepbrother. I'm like, wait, what? Oh, yeah. We have to stop them because if they ever win, all humans are going to become slaves to the evil mutants. Like, again, zero gray. Yeah. And like, if, if, if this is a scale... From 1 to 10, you have one team that's a 1 and one team that's a 10. You have nothing in the middle. And Kitty has realistically been there, even in her time, probably maybe 10, 15 minutes. I was going to say 15 minutes at best. Yeah, at max, is that if we account for maybe time jumps from going room to room. But yeah. they didn't cut enough to even show that. So more likely, within a few minutes of arriving, all yeah. of this goes down. And then I feel like after the first mistake, Xavier should get his shit together and not let her stand near controls <laughs> because she gets freaked out again, phases into the controls, and just shuts down the defenses. To be fair, the defenses weren't doing fuck all anyway, yeah. but still. I I do like that they thought about that, though. It's like, how are these two, like, how are these mutants going to get past the defenses if, you know, like, Xavier knows about them and stuff, but it, it, they have that little story point of, like, oh, the, the new... Like the wild card kind of like fuck things up unknowingly. Yep. So he uses his telepathy to read Magneto's mind. And it's like, oh, he wants the mutant power circuit, which we asked this in a previous episode. And I did not have a good answer for you about when Magneto's helmet started being used to stop Xavier's telepathic powers. Yeah. That did not happen until New X-Men 136 in 2003. Oh, OK. So much later. Yes, I looked it up specifically because I knew we had addressed it in the past and I didn't have a good answer for you because we only knew when it got introduced in the movies. But yeah, that was not formally like a thing until later. So gotcha. That makes, yeah, there's a few yep. things in here where they'll have to come back and retcon or whatever. So Kitty grabs the MacGuffin and then Juggernaut and Magneto bounce into the control room and Xavier gives like the shade to his stepbrother he's like you know you were, you've always been welcome in my home but I question your choice of friends it's like this is gonna end poorly then Magneto is like he chose his friends wisely so Kitty starts running off Magneto follows and then Juggernaut just like slaps Xavier right yeah Magneto starts giving what I call just propaganda to Kitty 
of like, oh, you don't need to be scared anymore. You could be on the right side of all this. I love this moment. This is another one of those like iconic moments I always remember. It was him twirling his hand and then the wires coming out of the wall yes. and like capturing her. It's like like what an eerie thing as a little kid to see. Like it was so wild. Well, the phrasing they use right before that is, you know, we don't need to be enemies. And basically is like, yeah, you don't need to asso- associate with the normal human. So it's that aggressive version of Magneto where it's like he's he's not calling her the freak, but the normies would call you a freak. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and I forgot to mention this earlier, but especially with the army guy when he was with Magneto in the truck. The way he says, like, muty and all that stuff, is it just has the energy of slurs. Oh, it's 100%. And more so than in 92 or Evolution. And I didn't put that together until after rewatching 92 and then coming back to this. I'm like, oh, wow, this had way more of that... That energy? Pre- ...prejudice energy. So, yeah, Magneto takes has the wires pop out of the wall that are moving kind of like... It felt like the animation of snakes from G.I. Joe. Yeah. And then it zaps her. And then it, like, she throws the mutant circuit perfectly to magneto and then she shifts through the floor yeah and then stan narration pops in and he mentions that the x-men are completely unaware and they go to the deep space observatory which is a great generic name for a building yeah and there's like a family trapped in like a fire sphere right which i believed was supposed to be like at least at least one was a scientist or the spouses were scientists who also had their kid at work with them yeah why not yeah your kid to work day Yeah, bring your kid to to work day on the worst day possible. And you had Blob and Pyro there. And they're like, well, what do you want? And Blob, this is a version of Blob I do not like. Blob is talking like a fucking moron. I don't like this version of Blob, even compared to the, you know, the tutti frutti Blob and the other one. He just, he reads like he's written like Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Yeah, it's actually perfect. It's funny you say that too, though, because like for me, for whatever reason, once again, maybe it's because the first time I saw him, like this is the Blob and Pyro. They're like ingrained in my head, and Pyro, for whatever reason, actually works as Australian for me. Was he Australian? I I honestly can't tell the difference between some of these accents. So. I, I'm a, it sounded like it was. Someone tell me if I'm wrong. He didn't go quite as far as like you know talking about dingoes and stuff, but his character seemed more. I don't know what it was. The characterization of it just seemed more on. But it is funny how those two end up getting paired. Well, no, no, they don't get paired up. Never mind. I was I was thinking of Avalanche. But they're in one of the one of the episodes, the Tutti Frutti episode. They're yeah, they're yeah. there for a Mystique. But what is he canonically in the comics? I'm forgetting. Raised in Sydney, Australia. You're right. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he he see, and maybe that's part of the thing is that he seemed more of like an actual Australian, like a real Australian person. And Wolverine in this seemed like a cartoon of an Australian person. Right. But yeah, so this whole thing was like a distraction. Obviously, yep. they did this kind of in like a reverse order. They they, sh- they showed us like what was actually happening, and then where everybody yeah. went. <laughs> you you see the actual attack, and then yeah, I don't know. It was <laughs> it was a whole thing. And then you know he's talking about getting the tracking coordinates for the Scorpio comet, which it just sounds like the most Saturday morning cartoon yeah. name for because it's also like that's that's a constellation. Like, yeah. are you really going to call a comet anyway? And the X-Men arrive and they're like, well, we were expecting you. And it's like, you know, mustache twirling Saturday morning villains at that point. Yeah. And, and, and Scott was like expecting us. Can I also say, because they did a close up on him. I love this design of Cyclops where his eyes, instead of being one solid beam, are like the two kind of like almost like a TV noise, you know? Yeah. Like, I, I know there's something cool about it. Like they're kind of glowing underneath the the thing yeah i mean this is this is a great version of cyclops's outfit for me before jim lee 
got to it in the 90s like mm-hmm. this is such a good version of cyclops i've i've, I've always dug the look on this one so yeah, really cool like it has the bald cap on right colossus goes in and tries to like bear hug the blob and it does not work and then the blob gives his exposition where he's just he's unmovable yeah he's like not i guess that's different than like you mentioned before like it's different than just being heavy he's just dense <laughs> right it's a density control who he also just happens to be fat and they basically say that like yeah, in two days, you're all fucked. Yeah, I honestly, as much as I rem- love this pilot and watch it so many times, I've forgotten that asteroid hitting the Earth was like the main thing that they were trying to avoid. So Pyro puts up a flame wall. Storm is able to stop it with wind. And yeah, they, they escape. And then there's just like this awkward moment where Nightcrawler gives the teddy bear back to the kid. And the kid is okay with Nightcrawler, but the parents are not. This is one of those moments that is either a Stan thing or a Larry thing or something, but it kept in the spirit of, you know, what the X-Men were always about, where it's like, you know, prejudice is like a taught behavior. <laughs> right. And then, and then yeah. the the parent drops the filthy mutant line again. Yeah. Which is, it's interesting because they, the way, I don't know what they were intended to be, but the way they drew the parents, it looked like maybe they were like a mixed couple and then the daughter was mixed too stuff. So it's like, wow. So like in this version of humanity, they made it to that point but then not further with the the mutants. So at that point, you realize the cops are arriving and they exit through the ceiling with the tornado, I guess. Yeah, they don't show them breaking through the ceiling, but... You have to assume there was a skylight there. (laughs) And it broke through. And then we jump over to Asteroid M and Toad is Igor from fucking Frankenstein. That is is the character. Also, could we point out that Asteroid M looks like a over easy like sunny side up like egg you're not wrong okay <laughs> we'll put an image up of it somewhere the way they drew it's like oh it's an egg but yeah he's easy Igor. he's also so funny i didn't know it was frank welker but he's yeah. so funny in this so we get more of the you know the evil plan and such and then magneto kicks lockheed for no reason i forgot that lockheed was in this at all well they never call him out by name i think the thing they a they never call him out but like I didn't think I knew about him until that awful New Mutants movie came out. Mm-hmm. And I had the conversation with you that Kitty usually had Lockheed and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's because I didn't know who he was. I didn't have a frame of reference to recognize him in this. He's just some strange creature on Asteroid M. But yeah, he's he's basically like a cat. Yeah. <laughs> walking around yeah, Asteroid He's M. just chilling there. Like, he's just a random dragon. Magneto tells Toad to go play in an airlock. And that was what was funny to me was in Toad's That line. was great. That was a great so line. Like, oh, playing an airlock. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but Toad is an idiot and is like, okay, cool, I'll go. And then yeah. he chases the dragon. Then we jump back and we see what is officially the start of the Let's Destroy the Mansion that has continued throughout the yep. animated series. They find Xavier under a bunch of rubble. They pull him out. And then Scott clears a table by shooting it. It's Homer Simpson with a gun. Yeah, but that follows the the it, rules it of does, power. It does, but okay. Yeah, he also could have just swiped his but, arms across <laughs> it. He did not need to shoot the table to clear it. But we got. I appreciate getting to see those powers. Yes. Xavier starts to regain consciousness. At the same time, Kitty starts to wake up where she is found by Nightcrawler, Wolverine, and Dazzler and gets freaked out again by Nightcrawler. Like, her whole MO is she's scared for the first half of the show. Which is so funny because the same the, in the same session we're recording this, we just recorded Evolution Shadow Dance episode. And it's not a lot of Kitty and Nightcrawler going back and forth and in Evolution in general. Yeah. It's just funny 
like to realize like even as far as back as the first animated X-Men thing, Kitty and Nightcrawler have just always had this kind of flirty history. Right. After realizing that this girl is not dead, Wolverine calls Kitty a whiny brat. She kind of is, though. But then she, like, balls up and is ready to fight him. Yeah, she's had enough of this shit. I love that she's scared to death of the blue fuzzy guy who's been nothing but nice to her, but she's ready to fight the guy with fucking claws. (laughs) Isn't he, like, sharpening his claws, too? Probably. I told you she couldn't handle it. Yeah. But then Storm points out, she's like, well, none of us could have taken on Magneto by ourselves. And the juggernaut together, yeah. yeah. Let alone someone who literally entered this mansion 10 minutes ago. At this point, it's maybe two and a half hours, I yeah, feel like. Yeah. But no, but at the time when she fought him. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Within like minutes. Yeah. And then Kitty kind of like owns up she, that she failed, which again, to your point, she's been there for 15 minutes before <laughs> getting attacked by the biggest mutant terrorist on the planet. And then Professor X uses his telepathy realizes that they're on asteroid m and magneto has the power circuit and then he realizes the plan that Magneto's going to hit the planet with a comet and it's not quite clear why the mutant power circuit would be able to harness the gravity of an asteroid but it doesn't matter or the comet. it's it is totally like it is the mcguffin it is the weather generator from the gi joe movie like it is all, all of spark. those things yeah it's the all spark <laughs> oh god Fucking all spark. Except it's a sphere. Instead of a cube. Just going through shapes. <laughs> I, I, I know what you're doing, and I'm just not going to give you acknowledgement. <laughs> so we cut to commercial. Stan tells everybody that mankind is doomed in less than a day. So I'm assuming that means this happens in a day, based on us trying to place together, like, how what is the timeline of start of this to end of this? Yeah, because they said it'd be two days, in two yeah. days the world would end. And, you know, they're basically like, yep, if they succeed, it's going to be another Ice Age and everybody is like all right let's fucking go but then they're like no kitty it's too dangerous for you to come with us enjoy the mansion for the last six hours of your life right and she's like no i want to go she's she's basically jubilee yeah well jubilee is basically her yeah yeah yeah. so she follows and then they have the best radio reception i have ever seen because they're in the jet in space getting the reception being like yep so there's a comet that's coming right to earth and we're all gonna fucking die it's that outer space public radio yeah apparently <laughs> and then the phrase i never thought i would hear is oh okay cool we're going into a parking orbit yeah, i don't know what that is I, I i mean i'm assuming it's just like we're in a safe distance also magneto and his team have no security measures on the asteroid i guess it's a giant egg yeah you, you think they would have any windows to be able to see. <laughs> Everybody is in, like, really weird spacesuits. It kind of, that whole shot of them exiting the the, the spaceship. I was wondering where, if you were going to say this. It kind of reminded me of the shot from the Guardians of the Galaxy. And yep. I know that Guardians was, like, referencing 2001 Space Odyssey and stuff. But, like, I don't know. I guess it's something about the, like, a superhero team from Marvel exiting space. It's just a very similar vibe. And also wearing suits that were not, like, indicative of like the characters themselves like yes it had like the x across them but it didn't look like oh that's an x-men spacesuit you know yeah and actually speaking to that too where they it didn't seem like they were tailored to each individual character yeah cyclops shoots his beam out his thing and it doesn't bust his helmet and there's no like it doesn't look like it's made special or anything so i did notice that i do think there was a little bit of coloration to it 
that gave the impression it was like the ruby visor for okay. him to be able to do that. Yeah. I don't know if that's just how it was animated or if it was intentional, but I got a vibe. I was like, oh, Cyclops just shot through his visor. Right. And I didn't think twice about it when I was a kid. So this is something I'm nitpicking as, as I'm older. But like, I mean, it's like, it's, oh, that's what he shot. <laughs> it's what we do. But then they point out that Storm is there to basically like seal the the breach so that they basically do a good job here of how they eliminate X-Men by X-Men. Of going through these, you know, the the set of encounters. So, cool. We know Storm is out of commission because she has to make sure the airlock doesn't suck them all out into space. And I think that lends itself to, like, what we've talked about. Because at the time, Omega-level mutant was never even a phrase. That was not a thing in the, in the 80s going into the 90s. But it's like, yeah, if there was somebody who could do this shit, it would be Storm. Because she's that powerful with her weather control. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like in this iteration where she's exuding the weather instead of like harnessing existing weather right so they're saying like she can create like an atmosphere hold that airlock closed and it's funny you mentioned with like eliminating x-men by x-men it's such a video game setup but also they didn't use this premise for the video game and it's better for it i like the beat em up style of it yeah but it's just so funny that this whole ending sequence is set up like a it's- console game it's set up like a modern video game not an arcade yeah. cabinet and that's the oh, big yeah. difference yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's closer to the Ninja Turtles NES game than yeah. the Ninja Turtles arcade game. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, so it's like it's such a console setup. and yep. some, But even the console X-Men games never really did this. Right. So the X-Men are inside. Wolverine has already gotten out of his suit. Everybody else is still in their spaces, but Wolverine's like, nope, fuck it, I'm here. Dazzler, I believe, she turns the power off. And at that point, Toad hops onto Wolverine. You get a dingo reference. Yep. And then Wolverine traps him behind a wall. And this is funny because I was like, as a kid, I always thought like that meant that he stayed behind a kill toad. He's just standing watch to make sure he doesn't escape, I guess. Yeah, I feel like Wolverine should have just offed him personally. But when I was a kid, I was like, oh, he's like, we're not, they're leaving so that we don't see Toad get his head cut off. You had some dark thoughts as a kid, Rod. You know, there's a man with knives for hands. Yeah. I've always made the joke, like, you can't use a battle axe in pro wrestling, because if you do, you can't kill the person in the ring with you. And then somebody tried to do it a couple of years ago, and I screamed at the TV when that happened. Yeah. Yeah, you can't, you can't because we want to see it being used. It's the problem with Triple H's sledgehammer. If you, mm-hmm. if you swing a sledgehammer, you kill a person, which is why when Triple H hits a person, he's holding it like at the edge and he just kind of like nudges them with it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's not how you use a sledgehammer, sir. I was like the Ninja Turtles, how they can never like stab anybody with anything. Oh, especially the standards and practices, yeah, even yeah. though they were robots. Yeah. yeah. Also, that kid died in the first movie. Just want to point that out. <laughs> they changed it after the fact and added VO, but he was dead. Oh, okay. You then get Colossus and Juggernaut who basically have a test of strength using a vent. Oh, yeah. Cyclops and the White Queen pair off. Nightcrawler teleports past the blob. You see at the screen, Magneto's there. And it's like, in three minutes, you're all fucked. Supervillain monologues. Yeah. One of the things that I did read, which I completely agree with the, the logic on this, is if Magneto's whole plan was to make the Earth uninhabitable and kill all the humans... I don't know if they were all planning on reproducing with the White Queen, but there's not enough <laughs> people surviving to make this a thing right now. I didn't think about that. Yeah, because he's, I guess, early, I, I'd always thought that he was implying that only mutants would survive the blast, but he's saying that only the mutants on Asteroid M would survive. 
Here's the thing, man. Mutants aren't invulnerable. If you create the next Ice Age, I want to know how you're saving those. Because, okay, let's assume they're not in the spot that gets ruined by Flood or the impact of the fucking thing. It's like, do you have the ability to find the remaining ones? Or why didn't you get them off in the first place? Yeah. It's, it is the bad Saturday morning cartoon logic at that point. And again, I think that probably had to do with the toy decisions at that point because they were just like, we need the crystal clear good guys and the crystal clear bad guys. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah that's the Saturday morning thing. It's like, you, you got to know who to root for. At that point, Kitty has phased inside and she gets into a struggle. She charges everybody except for Nightcrawler, who's the most gentle person she's encountered. She charges. And then Lockheed bites his ankle. <laughs> When that happens, Magneto ends up blasting the circuit and gets tackled into the control pad, for lack of a better Something, term. The thing he was yeah. standing on earlier, essentially. Yeah. And then was it Xavier like got into Kitty's mind? It's like Kitty now. Yes. So Nightcrawler fuses the circuit and is basically acting as a conductor, which ends up changing the course of the comet, which I don't know how that works, but I'm gonna just go with sure. it. Yeah. Yep. Also looks uh, very painful. Yes, and then it's like, oh, yeah, he can't let go, because if he does let go, the circuit is going to break, and the comet is going to go back on Earth's trajectory, which the science in this show is not right. good. And and Magneto, once again, they're painting him as, like, he's just straight up a villain. Like, there's no... no yeah, it's like, it's like, I didn't win, but at least one of y'all didn't make it. <laughs> and then he makes his, like, magnetic ball, and he brings the Brotherhood with him, which they would all die in the vacuum of space. I guess magnetism is airtight. I don't think that works like that. (laughs) Also, Blob, I feel like breathes very, very heavy. Yeah, is also very heavy. Yeah, but he could like be like, I'm just going to not be dense right now. Yeah, right. But also, we'll use all the oxygen. Yeah. Nightcrawler is telling Kitty to go. And then Xavier gives the like, oh, well, I'm going to put this on the view screen as the way to let you know where to go. I didn't notice that until watching it now that I'm older, because maybe mm-hmm. back then I didn't realize that he had, and they said line of sight, but I didn't register that. Yeah. yeah, so like, does that work that way? If you see a picture of something? I that, guess if I guess. you could picture where it is and you have the best spatial awareness ever. Yeah, which I guess he didn't. Was, he was off, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, because he has to, he's holding it until the comet has actually hit the base. Mm-hmm. So the Blackbird obviously needs to take off. They can't wait any longer. And then he teleports just kind of like into space and he starts just like dropping down at like, you know, free fall velocity. Yeah. And is it Storm that points out like he's going to burn up? Yes. Earth's atmosphere. And then they're like, use the grapple beams, which that was which hilarious. sounded like a, a toy accessory. I don't know if they would animate this today, but they presented us with what we think was him like disintegrating, which seems very violent if that's what would have happened. Right. It but that was claws. just him teleporting. We find out because they're like, I can't see him. He's gone. And then Kitty just like loses it. Because she realizes that he's done, like, the most unselfish thing possible. And she was perpetually an asshole to him. I also like how quickly Xavier just accepted his death. He's like, he's gone now. It's like, okay. We just went straight to that. That's our Xavier. (laughs) Like, okay. That's our Chuck. Could you see that clearly from inside the jet? (laughs) Dude's got great eyes, man. But it's revealed that he has teleported into the closet because there's, like, a banging noise in there. And they make a comment about how he smells like 
burnt, basically, which yeah. is not the sulfur reference that we talk about in the recent yeah. evolution episode that we reviewed. It's the fact that he was literally burning up in Earth's atmosphere. Yeah, his fur is singed. Colossus holds him like a beanie baby. <laughs> he just, like, holds him up. You, like. you have to screenshot that because I don't... <laughs> off the top of my head, I don't remember it, but it's such a good description. Now I need... You basically, oh. you're going to do that with your cat next to oh, that okay, picture. Yeah. yeah. Or I guess I don't know the game, but there was something... Was it Resident Evil or something that became a meme? I see a lot of people cosplay as the Comic-Cons. But there's... Oh, like, Lady like, Demetresque? Was that who it is? And she has somebody pinned against the wall. So without yeah, being that pinned against the wall, very similar like, things. Like Colossus, that was Resident like, Evil Village, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Colossus is like twice as tall as... Nightcrawl. Yep. Nightcrawl is kind of shorter and he's squatting and stuff, so he like picks him up and it's like, oh, hey. And then Wolverine is still a fucking asshole. <laughs> Probably still sharpening his claws. I can't remember if he's sharpening his claws in every shot in my head. Yeah. That's what I remember. That's what he's always doing. Every time he talks. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, well, the kid got lucky. She's not an X-Men. Not yet. And it's like... Slow turn. Okay. And then we get like the quick, weird wrap-up stan who's saying like the world's safe again they've won only for now and then you have the team standing on the edge of the planet with xavier's giant head behind them Mm -hmm. the world got real small it's a great shot though if it wasn't in like 10p resolution (laughs) i would love to screenshot it and use a backdrop (laughs) i mean the the up-res version that you found is actually decent yeah, I tried. It's it's, uh, it's still very VHS. It does not age well. Yeah, <laughs> it'll 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 look good on Instagram when it's shrunk down. Oh yeah, it, it could shrink down, but like trying to put it on like my display, which is what like three thousand, four thousand something, whatever. It just it looks like three pixels in like a giant peach head. So yeah, that is the episode. Other stuff that we did not talk about. This was collected as a graphic novel that was called the X Men Animation Special. They basically redid the comic in the style of the cartoon. It was based off of a two-issue story in the X-Men comics, and I forgot to write down which oh. ones. It it makes sense, though, because there's so much story happening in it, and like knowing that Larry Houston had something to do with it makes so much sense, because it wasn't a throw... Besides a couple things like, you know, Emma Frost having, like, a lightning beam or whatever. Like, yes. Which I'm still offended by. By the way, it was Uncanny X-Men 129 to 139, influenced by those, yeah. But everything, to me, even though I didn't read comics a lot growing up, the few times I did, like, this pilot felt like comic book pages coming to life. Yeah. You know, less of an adaptation and more of, like, a just even the way that they're drawn, you know? Like, everyone, no matter what age they are, like, kind of roughly looks like a really cut middle-aged person. Xavier's supposed to be older. He sells chiseled, like, cheekbones and, and jawline and stuff. And Kitty looks like she's only a couple of years younger than him. <laughs> it was it was the end of that 60s to 80s comic book aesthetic that, yeah. like, that would later get reinvented because of stuff like Watchmen and Dark Knight Rises and stuff like that. This was the end of that era. And... I also appreciate, like, I don't know how much money that got put into this pilot, but, like... it The equivalent of RoboCop's 13th episode. <laughs> whatever they are, whatever that was. Because the we talk about, like, all the, the corners they had to cut for 92, even though we still loved it. But then, like, in this, there's, like, small details that, like, no one would notice, except maybe the animators and stuff. Like, when they go to rescue that family that Pyro and Blob had captured... Like, I remember specifically, like, Dazzler kind of towards the front of the line of the X-Men and stuff, and, like, the flames, like, reflecting off her face. Like, someone yeah. animated that. The, I mean... The spatial we, awareness of lighting and stuff. Toei was, is, is a great animation studio, and that was one of the things, like, 
we know Saban is known for being on the cheap side with their animation, but Toei was like kind of the the gold standard. Even if the the show didn't work for whatever reason, it still always looked good. Mm-hmm. So, and I think you mentioned this earlier, but like so much story happened in this that it could have been easily two or three parts in another animated series. But like I. I was almost like whiplashed rewatching this today. I remember all this stuff happening, but for whatever reason, I know it was only like a 20, 30 minute like pilot, but in my head, it was like an hour's worth of events. It felt like a movie because yeah. of the amount of shit. Yeah. But yeah, I just kept like whiplashing from one thing to the next. I was like, man, I, this almost happened in real time in 22 minutes. Like, <laughs> And I think a part of that may have just been like, that's what cartoons were when you were an advertisement for a toy brand is you literally were the like, nobody has an attention span. Just go, 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 go the entire time. Yeah. And I guess like Larry and Rick and all them, you know, they probably, since this was a pilot, they didn't know if they were going to get into those shots. They needed to fit as much as they could into this. Well, like I said, that a part of that came from the toy executive production aspects of it. The other part was the original story was supposed to be around the Sentinels, which made its influence into the video game. Because if you, if you play that game, the majority of the fights that are non-boss fights, I'd say 80% of that game are sentinels that you're fighting. Yeah, of like different colors. Right, because like they have different... <laughs> yeah, it was it was the, oh, well, this color is this power, that color yeah. is the other power, etc. But yeah, like that was... It was because they wanted to be crystal clear, no shades of gray. These are the good guys and these are the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. So... As, so I, I know, I... Aside from the theme song being kind of cheesy... Like I, I still I rewatched this happily twice today. Yeah, and I watched it again. It's just like such a fun. Even with all the stuff that maybe logistically doesn't make sense or whatever, it the way it presented itself in the time period this came out, Logic didn't need to play part in anything. Cyclops can shoot through his astronaut helmet. Like there's the drag, there's a dragon cat thing on an asteroid. You know, like I love Magneto the dragon cat. Yeah, is just a bad guy, just like Megatron. There's not a shred of good in him, you know, like <laughs> it's just Toad. Is and then he yelled of, at Megatron. Was, oh, really? Frank Welker. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So funny. And that's just, is everybody like that's the same crew. Like for everyone from the composers and stuff worked on like Gem and G.I. Joe. And yeah. And, and I mean, when, when I was reading off the voice actors, I picked their most iconic role that stood out to me. But like like half of those people at least had like a part on Transformers or a part Mm -hmm. on He-Man. It was like that or G.I. Joe. You know, we just couldn't list through because it was like a lot. Most of them fell into like a who's who category. I would say it was like 80% of that voice cast were people you have heard or seen somewhere else and you would instantly know who the character was. And they created characters. They didn't like Chris Pratt it, you know, where they were just like them with Mm -hmm. the cartoon face. Like it like, would you have ever guessed that it was Megatron at all yeah, when, I, no. when, when, when I told you that to, that's Toe's voice actor? And even Kitty, like, she sounds normal, but when you really listen to her, they made, like, like that voice actor made, like, choices. Yeah. And it doesn't quite sound real, but in a good way. Just over reality, just enough to be, like, a cartoon character, but not, like, super campy. Yeah everyone even like nightcrawler it's it's they made it so that you could close your eyes and know what's happening and who's talking mm-hmm. it's just it was so good even storm man like storm's voice was different but the right energy yep i don't know is this is this a cool i i would even though i lo- i wouldn't sacrifice anything for x-men 92 i still kind of want to peek into the multiverse that 
what would it have been a little bit to see yeah. how much further we got you know we got down the road with like dazzler and stuff that's that's actually the one for me that it's like god i wish we got to see more of dazzler because like yeah you know aside from obviously like i love the the recent stuff with dazzler with x terminators and stuff but like she's also reinvented herself with every pop era like we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about this like the original dazzler was a disco queen and then you had this like 80s version of dazzler and then the 2000s version of dazzler is like like a grunge punk version of her i just kind of always have loved that character so it sucks that she gets like the moment in time that's so short-lived to be a part of the team and they don't ever address her music in this pilot they don't get to it i mean you don't even know she has anything to do with music in this one aside from just she uses sound to make her you know her finger guns yeah (laughs) which i do love the finger guns but I'm glad you finally got to see the the genesis of yeah <laughs> all the X shows. I mean, I genuinely enjoyed it. I think it very much lives in a moment in time, and I I say that because I am somebody who doesn't have the nostalgia of the VHS and stuff like that the same way you do. It wasn't bad, but I also see hindsight being what it is. I get why Margaret Lesh swapped over to what would become ninety two. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think it would have the longevity the same way. Like, I've, I'm sorry, I've hammered this point home, but like rewatching the original He-Man, rewatching the Ninja, original Ninja Turtles, rewatching an episode of G.I. Joe, it doesn't hit the same, you know, 30 years later, 35 years later. Yeah, I think this would have fallen very much in like the G.I. Joe category. It seemed yeah. like the, 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 the direction they were going with stuff. Ninja Turtles is an interesting one because I recently started rewatching some of those because they have actually on their YouTube channel started posting the original episodes right. in full. And it's entertaining for me to watch now, not because it's necessarily like aged well in the same sense that like Batman or X-Men 92 did. This is not a Ninja Turtles podcast, but if anybody wants to talk about it sometime, I rewatched that first Ninja Turtles episode. It is wild. They're like I I think the first episode does does age decently. I well, think the follow-ups do not though. I get, I can get that, but like that first episode was so wild because they were like, "There's been a rash of crime around town. We don't see any guns, so they must be Asians because Asians know how to use swords." I was like, "This is wild, man." I didn't remember that that was a thing. <laughs> like, so now I have to watch the, it just to cop, send you text messages later. The, the cops were like, "Only ninjas could do this because there's no firearms involved." And I'm just going to put the, I'm just going to put this out here for those of you who may be finding this for the first time ever. Rod is of Asian heritage. So yeah, this, just just to be crystal clear. <laughs> but that's why I thought it was funny because I remember watching this as a kid thinking like, this is really cool. And then now I'm like 41. I'm watching like this is <laughs> Jesus cartoon logic. Christ. I personally don't even really take it as like offensive. It's just a funny jump in cartoon logic of like and that's the conflict of their like well, it's clearly these Ninja Turtles, right? <laughs> it's, like, okay, it's so random. It's so, it's so if, wild. If it was guns, it would have been the Italians. So I right? get it. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because then they're like pizza. So it's like it's a t- Japanese Italians. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like I said, if it was guns, it would have been crystal clear Italians. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I'm, I'm genuinely happy we got to do this. I love that it is. This episode is essentially airing on the two-year anniversary of our first post as well so it feels yeah because remember we recorded originally like over christmas break and the first year and this is the this is the first one of of 2024 so yeah kind of kind of it's a cool full circle and yeah it's been 
really cool. And I, I think we got a lot out of that at LA Comic-Con. Like, one of the things we didn't talk about on the last episode is when we were talking to the Lee Walds, we, like, we were at their booth having a genuine conversation with them for, like, 20 minutes. For a while, yeah. And then some people came by, and they were, like, before we were able to shoot our real short with them. But yeah, we like we legit had a 20 minute conversation with them about the show. And it's like, I don't know if that ever would have happened to the level that it became if we didn't end up doing this dumb fucking podcast. Yeah, no, seriously, even with the relationship I have with Ron doing the music for the show and stuff, I never put in my head that I would like sit down and talk with the Lee Walds about the show and stuff just because I, I wasn't thinking they would come to that point or whatever. But yeah, there we were like we had them on the show, you know, last well, now when you're listening to this last year, last and, ser- last series, <laughs> yeah, last series, and yeah, and then got to talk to him at Comic Con. You got to meet him a couple times before that, other Comic yep. Cons and stuff. I also survived a Comic Con, so that was yes, awesome. I am very proud of you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been a fun show. By it's, the way, I, I do... other people I saw that weekend definitely got Corona. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, I'll I, tell you who after. I don't know if it's just. I think it's just the culmination <laughs> of things I do. I don't know if it's any one thing. You know, I keep up on my vaxes. I. I, constantly smoke I, I weed i that to mask up kind of like a calculated risk you know so like most of comic con not really but like yeah. there were some times where like i'm gonna throw this bad boy on <laughs> and walk through this hall of people coughing on on everyone rod but happy I new see. year everybody yeah let's let's wrap this up and we will be back with our regularly scheduled content next week with some out of order x-men evolution episodes because we learned there were things in the previous episode that were revealed in other ones that we haven't watched yet. So that's a whole thing. I was going to say, as of right now, we don't know if the next episode is going to be Evolution or 97. Probably uh, not 97, but who knows? Yeah. I, so, so to make this even better, Rod, the episode that we know we skipped, we skipped, and I say that mm-hmm. with air quotes because we're just going in the Disney order, is two episodes away for us. So it's not uh, even next week's episode. It's the following week's episode, great, too. Great. All right. Well, stay tuned for whatever is yeah. about to happen. <laughs> we fuck it all up don't we yeah it's a, it's a specialty it's why you listen and thank you guys for joining us if you have any thoughts make sure to drop them into the comments of either the youtube upload or the official instagram post of this episode also i put the survey thing at the ends of spotify episodes so people could leave comments there too also spotify make it so i could just put an indeterminate amount of time and not have to click on the calendar every time for that to go for a full year <laughs> And also, I can't type it in. I have to do the dumb thing where I click day one and then I have to hit fucking 12 times to the end of the year to click the end date of it. I'm right. really angry at Spotify right now. And if you like what you heard, we appreciate a rating on the podcast app of your choosing. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and CastBox. It's been a long night and hopefully we survive into 2024 when this actually needs to air. So, I mean, I'm still rooting for Comet 2024. Let's get Scorpio. <laughs> Let's get Scorpio. Scorpio. <laughs>